<laughs> hey, did you guys know I actually uh, fell down the stairs the other day? Oh. Yeah. What did you do? Well, it was actually an escalator, so I ended up tumbling for half an hour. <laughs> that's oh, good. let's get this that's going. That's No sympathy for you. <laughs> Hi, this is Jeff D. Hi, my name is Gary Savard. Check it out, Bubba Brinkman. I am the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. Hi, this is Jody Emery. Hi, I'm R.N. Rod. Hi. I'm James Rand. Hi, this is Phil Ferguson. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. Hi, this is David Silverman from American Atheists, and I took a left at the valley. And that was the best turn I ever made. Uh... <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Ah, uh, coming at you from some covert location. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I used to be someone's imaginary friend. <laughs> Joining me as usual are your local atheists that make you realize that consciousness is that annoying time between naps. She once told me she'd kill for a Nobel Peace Prize, Nancy. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for something really strange and weird, and that was so close to reality. <laughs> I just, okie dokie, hi everybody. <laughs> and he likes to reminisce with people he doesn't know, Scott. Yay, yay, we're here, we're all here, all of us. <laughs> all of us imaginary friends. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. I hope you had a good week. Yeah, it was pretty good. The weather, I think we had, what, 15 minutes of sunshine yeah, on uh, Wednesday it. or something? Yeah, <laughs> typical typical uh, Fraser Valley <laughs> springtime. Yeah, exactly. And they're calling for nothing but rain for the next week or so. But, oh, uh, fun, man. Fun. Uh, we got a lot, of, a lot of things on our plate today. I will be playing the interview with Kara Santa Maria later. But for now, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Did you guys hear that, uh, of course, another attack on uh, Paris? Uh, yeah, on the Champs Elysees, yeah. that uh, was really sad. Yeah, the uh, the gentleman, and I stress the truth when I'm saying that his name was Karim Shafri, and he was shot and killed. Uh, he shot and killed a cop, and uh, he opened fire with a Kalashnikov rifle apparently in a shopping district in a posh shopping district in in Paris, oh. and ISIS right away claimed responsibility. And this guy had a lengthy criminal history. Yeah, Paris has been under attack. It's like, you know, the the stress of not knowing when you go someplace. But I think it's probably like the English in World War II. You take the you take each day as it is and you don't let things get you down. But it's it is a stress, you know, to live in a city that is, you know, under sniping attacks, you know, um almost all the time. France has been, I think the the the, uh, the attitude of the French has been Defiant yeah. towards Islam, it has really been defiant. It's it, you know it's that thing that you know relax, take a chill pill, and that's how the French are. And I admire them for doing so instead of panicking. If this these kind of attacks were to happen in the U.S., you'd be DEFCON four every time, and missiles will be shooting everywhere. Uh, so uh, and I think that's why France is a bit of a target because let's face it, terrorists are in the business of creating fear. So you have to make sure that the bravest of them all and 
is the the target, right? Yeah, and of course, let's with the election coming up, let's wish everybody, mm. you know, let's wish them Some the sanity. best. Yeah, the, the French have never given in to terrorism, though. No, they haven't. Uh, there was that one flight where they they landed and they stormed the aircraft. They they landed for fuel and they stormed the aircraft, and I think there were four hijackers and. They killed all four hijackers. They lost two passengers. Mm. But uh, it turned out that the aircraft had explosives on board and they were planning on dive bombing Paris with a full load of fuel. Nice. So, mm. yeah, the French do not play nice with terrorists. They do not play nice with with yeah. the bad guys. I really, no, really, the spirit of the French resistance lives on, doesn't it? Yeah, and I really wish the uh, the image, the popular image, in the uh, especially in American media, of the, the French being cowardly, I really wish that that would disappear. Just because, you know, uh, when Germany invaded France in World War II, and that's where it, stand for, it stands from, right? Uh, of course, they, they had to somewhat cooperate with the invading army because they were just not prepared to repel it. And that is, since then, they were, of course, uh, there was they an also underground had, resistance, right? They also had that underground resistance. Yes, that was yes. the most successful, uh, you know. So the, the image of the French being cowardly, and I've seen that, and being part French-Canadian myself, it, it really irks me to see this kind of image in the media, uh, in North America anyway. Um, I was just interviewed on The Wayward Atheist. Oh, how did that go? Actually, it went fairly well. Uh, the, these guys, uh, they have a, an interesting podcast, and they, they're from all over the place. Uh, one of them is in Ottawa, one of them is Nova Scotia. There's a fellow in Alabama. Uh, they have a, a very interesting show. The conversation kind of took... Um, a bit of a serious, serious tone because we were discussing things like North Korea and should we interfere and stuff like that. And of course, knowing me, and you guys know that I like to play devil's advocate, I uh, threw a couple of objections and contrary opinion in there and it, it led to a very, very serious but interesting discussion. So that should be airing fairly soon. Oh, and, uh, very so good. You can hear me on their show there. And of course, we will have also the Wayward Atheist, one of their hosts, uh, Dave, a.k.a. The Great White North, coming on our show fairly soon. So that should be fun. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Queen Lizzie is celebrating her 91st birthday. Wow. Yeah. She is the longest reigning monarch. She was. Uh, she became queen in 1952. She's held up really well, hasn't she, through the years? Yeah. You know, she she, I mean, she takes her little longest, purse and just keeps going. Longest reigning monarch now. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He, she is right now. Right now she's the oldest monarch uh, ever since the death of Thailand's king, which was last mm -hmm. year. So now she is the oldest monarch and longest reigning monarch in the history of, of, uh, of uh, England. And, oh, we've got to talk about this. Bill O'Reilly. Oh, do we have to talk about Bill O'Reilly? <laughs> Bill O'Reilly okay. fired. Yay! And this is where I tell yeah. this. The New York Times article, uh, there was a New York Times article April 1st that revealed that Fox News settled with five women for about $13 million uh, over sexual advances and sexual misconduct from uh, the uh, O'Reilly Factor uh, host. Ever since that, over 50 advertisers pulled out of the O'Reilly Factors. Ouch. And which prompted, of course, a vacation, quote-unquote vacation for Bill. And soon after that, Fox announced that he wasn't coming back, and good riddance. Absolutely. Good. Even though he has four million 
uh, viewers here. And I, I was listening to a report or watching a report this morning. I, I'm just wondering whether this is the death knell and the eventual decline of Fox News because they're under, if I understand it correctly, they're under federal investigation because the amounts of money that they put out for Mr. O'Reilly and the way that they did it may not really? have, may not have been transparent enough, you know, for investors. Um, I don't know exactly how all that works. I'm just kind of giving you the highlights. So they are under investigation, and I wonder whether with that and the 25 million severance that Mr. Bill got um, and, you know, the fact that they're, you know, not, uh, you know, they're not in favor. I'm putting it badly. But at this point, they're in transition. Mm -hmm. Who's going to take over that spot? I'm just wondering whether or not it's like... You well, know, he, he, I wonder how the Murdochs are going to react. He, he was to the cornerstone of Fox News. Yeah, yeah. Really was. yeah. B- Bill got twenty-five million in severance after basically screwing up. Ooh, you suck. That's right. How do you get these jobs? I well, want one of these jobs. I tell, I tell you exactly how you get these jobs. When you get the job, if you can negotiate your contract so that you are, you get a year's no matter, salary no if you're fired, badly make I sure you up, get I one hell bonus. of a good yearly salary. Indeed. Like, wow, 25. Oh, I, 25. I know his lifestyle is going to be so crimped after oh, this because, wow. I'm sure, I'm sure he's know. aching for, for money right now. Um, <sighs> the funny thing about uh, Bill O'Reilly, like I said, he's a cornerstone of uh, Fox, uh, the, of the network. The median age for the O'Reilly show was between 68 to 70 years old. That's a, that's a fairly elder audience. But those are the hardcore conservatives. They're, yes. they're the older white guys that still live in the 50s, and they want to return to 1949 so they can live the whole 50s <laughs> from scratch all over again. Well, I hope, so, and, I hope and that may, because that's his core audience, you just wonder, okay, well, is is Fox going to decline because that readership is declining? I hope so. I hope it was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, me and too. And you know what, Bill? Do us all a favor. Stay retired, Okay. Just just disappear into the sunset. Enjoy your twenty five million plus whatever money you have there. Just go live on a beach somewhere. Just just disappear. Do us all a favor. Happy suntans, Bill. <laughs> yes. Stay off the airways. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of horrible things, uh, the UN elected Saudi Arabia to a commission on the status of women. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's like the fox in the what? hen house. Isn't yes. It? I mean, so they're supposed to be part of this commission from going on from 2018 to 2022. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? Why? WTF. What the hell? You know? But why? Well, I, I have no idea. And so, will they have any women on the panel? Probably not. No. Not, not, <laughs> they're, not in their, uh, their program. <laughs> Saudi Arabia was recently re-elected to the UN at the, at the, uh, on the Human Rights Council. And that's different. And now, on top of that, they're elected to a commission on the status of women. That's right, uh, because they understand human rights so well. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, out of 54 countries that voted on this, it was it was a, a secret vote. But I, we, we do know that apparently out of 40, uh, out of 54 countries, apparently 47 of them voted yes. And that's like 79 percent of them. How do you pay off forty-seven? I, I guess. I guess what the the problem here is that we don't understand the criteria for what they're they're voting for. I mean, it it rails against common sense that a country that basically 
doesn't have a good human rights record could be on the Council for Human Rights. A country that oppresses women would be on the Council for Women's uh, Advocacy and Rights. But what are the criteria that these votes are taking place under? What are they looking for? What checkboxes have to be checked off in order for you to say yay or nay? It's a good question. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm going to kind of put this on a layman's level, but you know when you have a, a, a child that's kind of unruly and a, a bit of a bully, do you sometimes you might want to change the demeanor by giving that child a responsibility? You're in charge of this, hoping that he will take the job seriously. Is this what they're trying to do with Saudi Arabia? Well, you know, and, by putting and, and, them on these councils, maybe kind yeah. of forcing them to modernize from their ancient pagan desert god stupid religion. Well, that's like taking Hitler and putting him at the head of the ADL and saying, now you're going to be really nice to Jewish people, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you, know. you might have a very good point there. I, you know, I mean, it's a good good theory. I, I approve of the, the theory. I just wonder sometimes, and, 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 and if anyone knows the answer to why Saudi Arabia is now on that council, please, please let send us know. everything to Kevin left at the valley. <laughs> please let us know. Third floor. And let, Let's finish <laughs> corner office. Let's finish corner that little chit chat with saying uh, something more positive. Yesterday was the March for Science. It was uh, over 600 cities in 60 countries took uh, took uh, this happened in, in these countries. Uh, apparently, there was right here in Vancouver. There was over 500 people marching to Science World, and this was, of course, in response to anti-science rhetoric from governments. I mean, you guys remember when uh, our ex-Prime Minister Stephen Harper muzzled the scientists? Uh-huh. And, of course, Trump's kind of doing the same thing right now hmm. in the States. So I never thought in my life that I would ever come to say uh, to a point where saying scientists have to revolt and start marching down the street. Yeah, I saw one of the signs was, I can't believe I'm marching for facts. Yes! <laughs> yes! That's a wonderful, wonderful way to put it. Yeah. It, 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 so the, the question is, I mean, in my mind, the question is... All of the support for science, all of the marching, all of the demonstrations, are minds going to be changed? Are the climate deniers suddenly going to say, well, you know, maybe these people have got something here that we're not aware of. Maybe we should reconsider. Is, is this going to translate into government officials who are climate deniers suddenly saying, okay, we're going to the Paris Climate uh, Summit? No. Not no, a we're snowball's believers. chance at the North Pole now. I would say in hell, but with global warming, we're pretty much there. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's really at the crux is to get people to accept scientific facts as the, facts the, and not the problem alternative is, facts. The problem yes. is that these people take a position, and once people take a position, it's been shown that they'll hold their position, and, and the more facts you throw at them, the more reason you yeah. throw at them, the more you show them the way they will actually entrench themselves in their position and they will they will literally stop listening and not care about the facts. And you they know, as, just... as atheists, we understand that all too well. How many of us have had debates with Christians where you show them the facts, but nonetheless, they just say God works in mysterious ways. So it's not surprising in that sense. Well, you know, in a lot of cases, the deniers are, are the very religious people you're talking about. Yes. So, oh yeah, of course. I mean, I was watching a video this week says, you know, I used to, I used to, I used to believe the Earth was round, but then I started reading the Bible. Now I understand the Earth is flat. I was like, oh God! 
shoot me now, shoot me now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but what gets discouraging is when there's an overwhelming amount of support for something that is that you should logically support, and then you get a tweet from Trump that says this is a result of sm- you know small paid groups you know coming out because they have nothing else to do they should get jobs or something <laughs> like that it's like complete you know it's like a complete denial you know a, a, another denial of of reality and so, it keeps going fingers crossed oh and uh, in the personal news um, for myself I'm going to be uh, helping uh, a little place, my folks' coffee place. It's called Wooden Beans, eh? It's a very <laughs> little coffee place in Agassiz. I want you guys to, if you're in the area, come and encourage us. I mean, we're trying to uh, take this uh, place into uh, maybe a, a new direction, make it more hip more or better. So uh, if you guys happen to be in Agassiz, go to 7010 Pioneer Avenue and come have a coffee and come chat. Oh, it's great. It's right in the middle of Agassiz, and it's a great place to stop for a cup of coffee and have a little goodie. That's where we did our Christmas we show. We did our Christmas there. show yeah. from there, and it's a, it's wonderful. There's um, very comfortable, cozy seating, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's very sunny. It's bright. And you're right so, by Harrison yeah. Hot Springs, and as the summer's coming yeah. up, you know, why don't you stop in, have a chat, a coffee with us, and then go to the beach? I cannot think of a better day. No, no, it's really, and, and you, you never can tell. You might have a chance to meet our star celebrity, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Shake his hand, get his autograph. We'll, we'll get little hats, I know, maybe. I know that, now that I've met him, I'm, I'm starstruck. Oh, God. Yeah, you, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to encourage people to come to the thing, guys, not discourage them. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, you've, you've reached celebrity status. Why not? You can get your little, you know, I, I, I turned left at the valley hat. <laughs> Think of life. <laughs> <laughs> we'll think of lots of ways to, to get, get people in and have a great cup of coffee and a rest and meet Kevin. Why not? Let's do this day in history, my dear. <laughs> You're up. Well, okie dokie. I tell you what, we're going to do one day oh, of one this day. day in history, and then we're going to go on to something fun. Um, eight, um, April the 20th was Ask an Atheist Day. Mm-hmm. And Ask an Atheist, it's a national holiday in the States, and it's an opportunity for secular groups across the country to work together to defeat stereotypes about atheism and encourage courteous dialogue, there's a good word, courteous dialogue between believers and non-believers. And it's intended to be an opportunity for the general public, especially people of faith, to approach non-theists and ask questions about secular life. So in that spirit, Kevin, Mm -hmm. why don't you tell the world what you did uh, to honor Ask an Atheist Day? Well, you know, I was on Facebook and I realized a lot of people were saying today is Ask an Atheist Day, so that's exactly what I put on my post. Today is Ask an Atheist Day, go ahead and ask. And I was surprised by how many people actually shared that. You post. got a lot. You got a lot of people asking asking questions. Yeah, and you know, a, a lot of it was very lighthearted and it humorous. Was. You know, there were questions like, "What was your baby eating tally for yesterday?" and you know, or "What was your previous religion?" And you know, it was all done in good fun. Uh, and the conversation was actually, you know, we had some very good conversations. Not so serious to the point of, you know, you know, like those arguments, but. You know, we had we had a lot of fun with that, and it was almost like a some nice interaction between theist and non-theist. It was, you know, I, I like the idea. In, in several universities, some of the um, the secular clubs, atheist clubs, humanist clubs, set up a table 
um, in the the student areas or wherever the public areas, and they have an ask an atheist, and th- those have been I don't think any, I don't think fisticuffs have broken out in any, no, no. in any of them, and I think it's a great way to um, to stimulate a, a good you know lively uh, discussion about who we are and why we are and what we what we think about the world and what we think about yeah. you know people of various other religions and it's a good conversation starter we have the typical questions you know well, which religion did you come out of and all that but i think my favorite question was actually do you have any gray poupon <laughs> <laughs> to which i answered i just ran out <laughs> and that was the end of that conversation with that person and that was it you know it was just it was just fun lighthearted, and you know i encourage more people to do so Exactly. I mean, you can have those great worldly questions. <laughs> That's and, right. It doesn't have to be about religion. It could just be about anything. The thought for today, do you have any great poop on? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, usually we do a, a quack watch or a scam watch, but today I thought it might be fun to look at the top 10 scams, frauds, and things to watch for. Do you want so, a quack watch team? Well, it's going to kind of a, you know, top I'm putting top it in. Quack watch. There you go. You're okay, this, there we go. This is from the BB, the Better Business Bureau, because they usually compile this every year. This is the Canadian Better Business Bureau, but when I compared scams in Canada and in North American, they seem to be the same. So even though it's a Canadian Better Business Bureau, it's, it's pretty widely applicable. Um, number one. In Canada, we'd say it was the Canadian uh, Revenue Agency collection scam. In the United States, it would be the IRS internal revenue scam. Same deal. What happens is aggressive telemarketers pretending to represent the, um, the revenue agency use aggressive and threatening tactics, tactics to scare taxpayers into paying a, fit, a fit, fictitious tax return debt. And they scare people by saying we're going to come out and arrest you yes. unless you pay uh, a portion or the entitle, entire amount. And uh, actually, people are... Uh, seniors seem to... Oh, yes. Yeah, se- seniors seem to so be... Uh, the piece uh, of advice uh, to Canadians is the CRA doesn't call you on your phone and say, we're going to come and arrest you. It doesn't happen. They no. Send, they send letters. Yeah, they send... They, they they, send yeah, they send letters and they send, you know, by recommended mail and everything. Yeah, and, and if... If you get a call that said they have to make you have to make immediate payment by credit card or face court charges, jail, or deportation, call the police and report the call. Report the, the telephone number because it definitely if you, any phone call from any revenue agency that's a that's a scam. Number two is the unclaimed prize scam. And oh, is that the Nigerian prince? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something like that. Um, My business is, associate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, automatic, these are automated phone recordings that pretend to come from legitimate airlines, hotels, vacation booking agents, and things like that. And what they do is lure consumers into believing they were eligible to win a vacation prize. And then when that consumer tries to claim the prize, they're connected to an operator that insists on acquiring personal and credit card information to secure the winnings, you know, to make sure that's who you really are. And so That forth. happened so, to me. 
It did. No, it totally did. I totally, I totally knew what it was right away, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it was, it was like a, I want a trip or something like that, and it connected me to an operator. Hi, I'm the operator with such blah 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 blah, and uh, they said we're just going to need your credit card number so we can, you know, blah blah. blah. And I said, well, I don't have a credit card. You don't have a credit card. No, I don't have a credit card. Bang. They hung up right away. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find usually if you say, well, you know, I'm in bankruptcy proceedings or I don't have a credit <laughs> yeah. card, right. that, seems, that, seems to work really, that seems to work really well. Number three, and this one is an up-and-comer, the computer virus telemarketing scam. And this is where consumers are aggressively targeted by phone, mail, email, and online pop-ups. Um, and the fraudsters pretend to represent Microsoft or Apple and what they do is inform the, um, the the individual, the consumer, that their computer had been infected with a virus, and in order to fix the problem, the victim is now directed to a website, asked to provide their credit card information as payment, and told to download an antivirus uh, program. They I had tried that on us a couple weeks ago. I so badly want this to happen to me so that I can <laughs> yeah. troll them. I want to troll them so badly. Yeah, actually, a woman friend of mine. Uh, lost about three hundred and fifty dollars, and then had to go and get her computer, you know, disinfected at a regular, you know, computer Ouch. repair. That's, but that is an up and comer. That should be number well, two. A lot of us, a lot of us are not super computer savvy. We know as yeah, and also it's a bit like being fooled by a mechanic when you don't know anything about cars, right? It's it's an easy thing. Yeah, number four is um, the imposter's phishing scam, and we all know it's P H I S H, not an F phishing scam. Um, and no one is really immune from this one. Uh, some computer uh, viruses and phishing scams masquerade as emails or websites of legitimate businesses and organizations. So they use the logo and good name of a reputable charity, nonprofit, bank, whatever. And then scam artists send out a variety of legitimate looking but fake links that are designed for you to click on them because you think it's your bank, you think it's a charity, that you know well, but it's not. So when you click on the uh, fraudsters, uh, instantly install malware on your computer or steal your private information such as passwords and account information. So the best thing to do is not to follow links, but to go directly to the website. I, I actually got caught by Google on that one. Oh, I was you? doing well as part of my job. I research uh, I research uh, material safety data sheets. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to get to an industry website. And there was an ad. I made the mistake of clicking on one of the ads at the top, uh -huh. which looked like the website I was going to instead of the website, which was right below it. I, I clicked the ad one by accident. Well, when the porn page came up, the porn collage <laughs> came up on my screen. And of course, I'm in the middle of the office and my computer is now yelling, saying, you have a virus. And <laughs> I had to call IT right away and say, I think I have a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was looking at my favorite porn site and, <laughs> and, and you know and how do you explain so then I took it I took the computer to IT they actually grabbed it and said okay get it off the network we're going to clean it and they plugged it in in their station which is isolated protected and uh, from from our network internally and said okay show us what you did and I did the exact same search hit the exact same site and it took me to the industry web page. Uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, because it, Houston, you know, we have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so they checked the computer out and it was clean, but they, they could see my search history and said, yeah, that's, that's where you went, but it took you somewhere else. <laughs> well, you, you never know. Life is, computers are an adventure every okay, day. Okay, Scott, why don't you tell us what really happened now? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to number five, which is the, the vacation rental scam. Ooh. And this is where, where tourists are people wanting to rent a, a condo or a home from private uh, homeowners or renters, which is getting to be very popular, uh, suddenly find themselves out of luck and out of money when vacation rentals that they think they've nailed down in their favorite spot turn out to be fake, in disrepair, uh, they promised more than they were offered or unexpectedly canceled with no refund, and that's that. That's tough. So um, the BBB says to avoid vacation nightmares, people need to really do very careful research and work with a reliable professional rental agent if you really don't know the vacation market. That's a, the best way to do that. Number six, and I really haven't heard a, a lot about this one, but it's number six, and that's the fraudulent kiosk vendor. And in this, like, the customers report dissatisfaction with products or services provided by transient kiosk vendors that uh, set up at markets, festivals, fairs, malls, and shopping plazas. And you think if it's in a mall, it would be reputable because it goes through, yeah, you know, the, the leading businesses there, and it's, it's professionally managed. But it turns out that some kiosk vendors... Um, uh, um, are actually, you know, can, can be not legitimate, and they do scam. And if it's a temporary kiosk, um, it's even they can even use the name of a legitimate business and do knockoffs. So they can trick people into paying for services that were never rendered. So uh, BBB says before you make a purchase. Be sure to ask about how you can contact the vendor if you need to, which sometimes, uh, you know, if, if, he's, if he's out to take your money, it, sometimes that information isn't reliable anyway. Or ask about the return and exchange policy or get a written receipt so at least you've got some place to turn. That's a, that's a tough one because it, uh, it, you, people can get, get stuck very easily regardless the of the kiosk. Vendor. You know, I've, yeah. No, I've never seen, I've never seen that one. That's... That's scary. It's scary. Um, number seven is a new one. It's called smishing. And smishing is online with your your uh, SMS messaging. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that kind of smishing is, it, it works where bogus text messages are sent to to victims, um, purported victims, in attempt to lure them into unknowingly agreeing to accept large monthly charges to their credit cards or downloading a virus or malware onto their smartphone or other mobile devices. So a smishing text often used trending news and entertainment topics or um, threats of fake billing to lure victims into fraudulent websites. It's pretty much the same thing as a regular phishing, but it uses MS, the, the SMS rather than email. So you still have to be really careful what you're clicking on to where you think it's going to be a, a purchase or, you know, something that's going to benefit you. And either way, it just, you know, you have to look at things these days as almost everything is a fraud, <laughs> you know, I mean, hold on. and I you, gotta, you, how am I going to protect myself on this 
this purchase, which is a bad Are thing. you telling me that that text was, that I received was not from Angelina Jolie? <laughs> oh, no, in your case, I'm sure she's a fan. <laughs> I, uh, nah, nah, that's a... Then we start a rumor. Angelina Jolie is listening to Left of the Valley. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, online, I think you really have to protect yourself against, oh, yeah. against fake. Not that you have to think everything's a fraud. I may have misspoken or gone over the line on, on uh, you know, being overly careful, but better, better cautious. Number eight is the online stranger danger. And this is where um, people who use online secondhand shopping um, sites and social media sites, they find themselves getting ripped off or giving out private information to strangers. And the ripoffs usually include misrepresentation of the product or purchasing fake or broken products, paying too much, paying up front, or, and then never receiving the item. Sometimes these things happen on eBay. Sometimes they happen on other sites where things are for sale and you, you don't really know that site. eBay has gotten people occasionally, but eBay is really pretty good. eBay is like, oh, I guess 80, 90%. Okay, but things do happen, and you really have to be, be mm. careful that if you do something, if you buy something that's a fake, that you've got the eBay or a big company to stand behind and, and, and helping you. Does that include these scams where you have, uh, where you're putting something online, you're selling yourself something online, and people say, hey, can you send it to me and I'll send you a check kind of thing, you know? Well, those are the, the old Nigerian um, scams, which are still where you purchase something. They send you a check for above the amount, and they say, well, we, we, we inadvertently sent you a check. So if you just deposit it, you keep the deposit, and then just send us the, the regular amount. We're sorry for the error. Put this fake. And these Nigerian scammers, and actually started in Nigeria, but they're all over the place now in these little cells, um, they can now make checks that are so legitimate looking that the banks, you know, can't detect that they're that they're fraudulent. Oh, wow! Yeah, they're they're really good. They either they either have people who are actually working in places where they they uh, they print the checks so that they they are legitimate. They just you know rip them off and then print out. It's pretty bad when you get a check that the uh, yeah. the government can't even. Find out. Yeah, no, that happened, and and people, you know, were, were trying to sue the banks, and the banks were saying, no, we're not, we're not responsible. You were responsible for that Yeesh. for that check. Yeah, that, that's that's. That's why checks have kind of fallen out of favor anyway, because yeah. it's too hard to. But that was a that was a huge scam about ten years ago because people didn't know a lot about it and no. there were a lot of underground groups working to um, kind of eliminate them online. Not it quite what I was talking about though, because what I was talking about is uh, uh, this is last year I was selling a car online and went yeah. to Kijiji, right. and all of a sudden I get this message saying, "Oh no, we we're interested. In what you that thing you're selling there is it possible?" And what tipped me off is is it possible for you to send it to us through the mail? And I'm thinking, it's a car. You can't send a car through the mail. Yeah. And this is what tipped me off to the whole thing there. Is, is it possible for you to send it through the mail? We'll send you a check. This is where you realize it's a scam. But even if you're legitimately trying to sell something online, uh, you get these people fishing for your business. Yeah, sure. but they would send, let's say you were asking $6,000 for your car. Well, they would send you the check for $7,000 and say, oh, you know, but at that point you've sent them the car. Yes. So now you're out the car and, and, you, and, and, and the out that, and then the bank is saying you've ripped us off. So how do we know yeah, exactly. that it's actually a third party that you got this check from or you're trying to rip us off as, a, as an individual? Yeah, well, this person obviously didn't do their research. You can't send out a 
a Nissan Sentra through the mail. Well, you can. It costs a lot. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. a container ship. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, number nine is the Helpful Harry or Helpful Helen scam, where homeowners and renters have found themselves in hot water after hiring helpful neighbors, local teenagers, or in-the-area contractors to help them with home, yard, garden, vehicle maintenance. And in some cases, people are just ripped off. In others, the work was completed. The, the work that was completed is, is of poor quality and it costs more to repair, never finished. Um, and in other instances, actual um, accidental injuries left the homeowner with unexpected lawsuits, guilt, and unexpected medical bills. So BBB says before you hire anyone to help you with your home yard vehicle maintenance, make sure they're qualified to do so. Sometimes it's innocent, but sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, somebody knocks at your door yeah. and saying, I'm in the area, you know, trimming trees. Can I give you an estimate or trimming or roofing or something? And they give you a good price and then you've got to do it all over again. It's not necessarily your real neighbor. Or they say we in the neighborhood and so mm. forth. Number 10, counterfeit merchandise, Ooh. which is a big, used Ooh. to be a big, big ripoff at uh, flea markets where you think you're getting, you know, something uh, by a, 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 a head design, not a head designer, but, you know, a well-known designer. And it turns out it's actually uh, a ripoff made what? in a brand new iPhone for a hundred bucks. How yeah, can I lose? But so the, the internet and uh, flea markets are filled with um, stores and kiosks and auction. There are also auction sites that market, you know, very alluring, cheaply priced counterfeit products, and they're being pitched as the real thing. Um, Gucci handbags, Rolex watches, uh, they don't come cheap or at a bargain, regardless of what the sale price is. So it, it, it's buyer buyer beware before you hey, buy. Any the last product. Gucci I, handbag I had just had one small flaw. It only had one <laughs> C in the in the name. I didn't know you were a Gucci man. Yeah, that's a joke, son. Don't you get it? I made a funny, son, and you're not laughing. Which is really funny because um, years and years ago, when I lived in in Texas, I lived in a border town where we'd uh, cross the border and, and go to the little Mexican towns, which are just, you know... Uh, um, streets and streets filled with merchandise of, of various kinds, and it's it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun, and the jewelry stores down there have fake Rolexes, but they market them as fake Rolexes. You know they're a hundred percent fake Rolexes, but they're so well done and they look so beautiful that you buy one of these watches for twenty bucks. They look great, and you tell everybody else, "I've got <laughs> here's my Rolex." So yeah. those those kind of fake merchandise. Are, are fun. Those are those are good. But but if they're if you actually believe they're a Rolex, where it's a cheap copy now, you know something different. Yeah, I, uh, when I went to Mexico a couple of years ago, I bought this uh, nice little necklace. Uh, it was a bit of a, a pendant thing, and it had uh, my name written in Incan. You know, the or Ma, or Aztec or Maya. No, I'm not sure. One one of those languages, uh, which is essentially symbol, out of silver. Right, so I ordered it. And it looked like you know it was a very nice jewelry place. You know, you know the the counters and the safe and all that. And and of course I'm wearing this. And within two months, the, those silver letters just fell right off. Don't. Oh, it's no. like, and of course Mexico prides itself a lot on their silver and their silver mining. And I'm looking at this saying, oh my god, you got to be shitting me, right? And it's like ah. 
Uh, I didn't, I didn't pay a fortune for it, but I didn't pay like yeah. uh, I think it was like 100, 125 bucks for it. I, mean, I was like, ah, uh, kind of feel bad now. Ouch. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of those. <laughs> I got you the know, big so, yawn going on here. Yeah. What are you about to say something? Anyway, we're all done with buyer beware, and everybody's going to watch out. Everybody's going to be more careful. I've done my civic duty, and we can move on. What's okay, next? Okay, <laughs> let's move on. In that case, we'll move on to our segment that we always like to do. Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Okay, we got three stories. I guess we'll start with this one here. Um, now, in a Christian school where the love of Jeebus can get you expelled, we've heard about them <laughs> kicking out students that were openly gay. I've heard about them kicking out students that their parents were gay. But what happened to little Sonny Cal was news even to us. Timberlake Christian School in Virginia is essentially forcing her out because she, wait for it, doesn't look feminine enough. What? Uh-huh. Now, you're probably aware that Timberlake School is, Christian School is religious, Bible-believing institution providing education in a distinctly Christian environment. Quote, we believe that unless Sunny, as well as her family, clearly understands that God has made her female and her dress and behavior need to follow suit with her God-ordained identity. That means that TCS is not the best place for her future education. What was she wearing? Well, she's an eight-year-old kid. I know, but what was she wearing that she wasn't Probably a pair of jeans. I mean, it's an eight-year-old kid. Well, the fact that they put that much stock in her being feminine enough tells me that they're sexist and uh, probably not... Of course, uh, it's a Christian school, duh. Ta-da! Probably not the best place for her education. I mean, her her grandfather said, how do you label a child, an eight-year-old child, or discriminate against an eight-year-old child? It just doesn't happen, right? (laughs) Apparently it does. You know, I mean, to, to, to pick on it, you know, to, to take a little eight-year-old child and, and take her self-esteem and just, you know, crack it over your knee like you're breaking a tree branch. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. whammo. That's horrible. And that, that's horrible for her psychologically, for sure. I mean, how? there's a quote here. How do you tell a child when she wants to wear pants and a shirt? You know, like every other kid. Yeah. You know, to go out and play in the mud, it was her fourth. No, no, you tell her, no, no, you can't. You got to go wear a pink bow in your hair, and you got to make sure your hair is long, and get your hair to grow long, and uh, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do something like that? Well, I mean, the question is, did, are, are, are girls restricted to wearing dresses, and she came in pants, or she could wear pants, but they were jeans and not little fluffy pants. I don't know. I saw a picture of her. I mean, she looks like she, she, she looks a bit a bit tomboyish, right? She's got the short hair and, and all that, but I mean, she's eight for Christ's sake. She's well, eight. And again, putting yeah. these kinds of restrictions on people is just not it's not it's healthy. cruel I, you know it borders on does that border on child abuse or am I making it up the church make, oh wait a minute, wait a minute. the church and child abuse I don't know if there's a connection there <laughs> <laughs> and of course Timberlake School is by the way a stone throws away from Jerry Falwell's Liberty University oh. coincidence I think not Oh, my. Wow. Send her to us for a month. We'll take care of her. (laughs) (laughs) Poor kid. Poor kid. Okay, another story. Uh, This is from a Christian leader. God will curse the kids and grandkids of anyone who criticizes Donald Trump. The power of Christ compels you! (laughs) So we're we're screwed, apparently. 
<laughs> I welcome that curse. Bring it on. Oh. <laughs> I welcome it. I'm still waiting for God to strike me down with lightning. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've threatened that one a few times. Well, if there's, you know, if there's a God, I'm going to walk outside. I did this to a Christian once. I'm going to walk outside and I want him to strike me down with lightning. I think God sucks. <laughs> and I walked outside and guess what? No lightning happened. Well, His aim is awful. <laughs> Like yeah, Ron some poor Reagan's, guy in Florida got hit with lightning instead. That's like Ron Reagan's ad, you know, for Freedom from Religion Foundation, not afraid of burning in hell. It's the same. There, that's, yeah, same yeah. thing. Not afraid of burning <laughs> this, in hell. This is Mary Colbert, uh, Colbert explaining that Donald Trump, uh, she was on the Jim Backer show, and uh, she explained that uh, Donald Trump is part of God's master plan. Now, I just love God's master plan because it's so fucked uh. up. And anyone who opposes the president will be cursed. And therefore, just wow. good measure, she extended the curse to the critics, children, and grandchildren this is a quote and it is not that donald trump is all that perfect of a guy we all know he's not and we know that he's not necessarily perfect in every way that we would like no no shit right uh that's not how god works he works through the one he chooses we don't choose them we all have to do is recognize that when you them and when you recognize a chosen one and you have the discernment to know that they've been chosen and know that that's the will of god then your life will be blessed I wonder if they had that same rhetoric when Obama was president. I, I would I would assume she wasn't one of those marching for science yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, it's a wild guess, but I just <laughs> doubt whether she I'm was still, out there. I'm still the trying crowd. to figure out where, where the subservience uh, equates to a happy life. I mean, subservient to God, so you, you follow the will of God. Doesn't that make you a slave? It does. It does. I'm, and, uh, I'm I think not going to be a slave to anyone. It's one of the saddest yeah. things, you know. It's like, a, I believe it's... A, a, was it Dan Barker, the uh, the uh, atheist Dan Barker that said uh, uh, when somebody says uh, what's a, the meaning of life? There is no God. Is akin to saying if there is no master, whose slave shall I be? Oh. Yes. yes, yes, and I think yeah. that's that's very profound. It is. That is. That's that's really good. There's a T-shirt. I like that. Absolutely. But the meaning of life we all know is forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> and another story. Now, when you think of religious idiot, ex-politician in the U.S. that could be anybody, it could be anybody, right? If you add female anti-gay in front of it, there's one that comes in mind, particular in mind, former Republican Michelle Bachman hasn't got any more sensible since leaving the office. She was speaking on the radio show Understanding the Times with Jan Marco, which does nothing but advance their understanding of the times. <laughs> Bachman explained how liberals are making it easier for the Antichrist to gain power. This is our fault, guys. We're making yeah. it easier for Satan to come Good. in. Good. <laughs> I, I, I welcome our new overlord and master. Well, this reporter was possibly a little hasty earlier. We'd like to reaffirm his allegiance to this country and its human president. May not be perfect, but it's still the best government we have. For now. <laughs> <laughs> I see him, I'll bow to him. <laughs> All right. I, I don't have any problem. I'm not going to be bowing to anyone. <laughs> so, so she goes on and she says, uh, she said that Donald Trump's opponent, much like the people who built the Tower of Babel, are rebelling against God to bring about the creation of a man-made one-world system. And Scripture tells us that the end times, that is what the Antichrist will be, and he will be part of the one-world system. So apparently, if you oppose Donald Trump, you're really trying to bring the Antichrist. Oh, man. These people who reject Judeo-Christian truth and instead want to insert and usurp control of all of our lives with a global economic and political government, she said. 
So I guess we would, oh should do the Christian thing and reject refugees who need the help and tell poor people they're on their own when it comes to health care. That, that's right, because that's so Christian. That, that follows their values so well. <laughs> oh my. A bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so funny because it, it, it's become so apparent to me now, especially in, in the U.S. politics, that they will say anything and they will quote the Bible whichever way as long as it suits the political agenda. And Have they ever been so called? Now, there's something we should look. Excuse me. There's something we should look into. Have they? Has it ever been done where they used, or someone used, the same Bible quote both ways, both supporting a a a, a point of view and supporting the opposite of that same point of view? The exact same quote. The exact yeah. same. I don't yeah. Know. Has it ever been done? Because I'm pretty positive that the the way it works, it could be. Uh, we should get our friend we Chris. Should, we should start we should looking get our, into that. Our, our really good Christian friend Chris, who we really like and, and respect. Well, yeah, we should not. ask him that question and see if uh, you know he he's scholarly enough. Well, I know he's scholarly enough to to answer that question for us. Because we all get the you know well the the Bible. I mean the the whole thing supports slavery. It really does. And, and the New Testament didn't come along and abolish those rules. The New Testament supported those rules. They'll tell you it doesn't. But in the words of Jesus himself, he wasn't there to get rid of the old rules. He was there to basically add enhance on, it, right? yeah, enhance exactly. things. Yeah. And uphold. Uphold, right. And so, but then they'll, in the same sentence, they'll tell you, well, it doesn't mean that. So they give you another rendition of, of what they think it means. And, it, and it's like, well, so now I'm questioning. Have, have there been any cases where we can actually see one religious leader using the quote one way and another religious leader using the quote the opposite way? Hmm. I, I don't know. know. That's a great, that's a great, great question. We ought to, Just we ought to pose. I don't even know how to look it up, but I mean, no, no, how, I how think, would you research that? Yeah. I'm I, positive there's going to be people out there that might know the answer. That's, that's a, right. That's an idea for a show. There, there we go. Okay. So we're going to go on pause for now, and then we're going to come back with Cara Santa Maria. So stay with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. People like Ray Comfort are fond of saying, what use is half a wing, right? Have you ever seen a f***ing penguin? <laughs> Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. 
Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So what you know about natural selection? Go ahead and ask a question and see where the answer gets you. Try being passive aggressive and try smashing. Okay, with, with me we have the host of a Talk Nerdy, and she's also one of the co-hosts of the Skeptics Guys to Universe. She's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer, Kara Santa Maria. Hi, Kara, how you doing? Hey there. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. I know you're very popular south of the 49th. You might not be as well known up north, up here. If you'd be so kind to give us the uh, Reader's Digest version of who Cara Santa Maria is. Oh, sure. Um, I guess when people ask me what I do, the, the main answer I would give is that I'm a science communicator. And what that really is is an umbrella term for all of the different freelance work that I do. I host a lot of television shows here in the United States. Um, sometimes they air outside of the U.S., sometimes they don't. I also, as you said, host uh, my own podcast, Talk Nerdy. We just did the 150th episode. I say we, I. Congratulations. <laughs> and, um, yeah, thank you. And I'm one of the co-hosts of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Um, and I do some web series and things like that. But generally speaking... Uh, the vast majority of the work that I do is in science communication, so working to improve science literacy and um, understanding. And it's totally absolutely needed, especially in your country right now as we speak. What, what is Talk Nerdy's message? What are you trying to accomplish with that podcast? You know, I started it when I was working on a television show that was a live daily show um, that really sucked up all my time. And in a lot of ways, I don't think was a very healthy work environment um, for myself as a woman and for many of my other female colleagues, actually. And while I was working on that show, I it was recommended to me by Joe Rogan, actually, that I start a podcast because he said, you know, it's it's all yours. You say what you want to say. You 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 are your own producer. You determine what the message is. Mm -hmm. And so for me, in a lot of ways, it's been kind of an outlet um, where I can really explore the things that are interesting to me. And it ebbs and flows with my own mind. It, it's a one on one interview show. So each week I have a different person join me on the show. Sometimes they're in studio, sometimes uh it's remote if they don't live in the L.A. area. And uh, it started as a science show. I, it's listed as a science show. I often interview scientists or science communicators. But sometimes I interview people that work in the industry out here. Um, sometimes I interview people that work in social justice, um, civil liberties. Sometimes I interview people kind of the atheist community or the skeptic community. It really runs the gamut, but I mostly focus on the things that I find interesting. <laughs> Indeed you do. Now, speaking of science education, uh, us up here in Canada, we keep a very close eye on the U.S. because you guys are our biggest trading partner. And um, I must admit, I'm quite concerned by what I see down in the States. 
Um, what would you think the status of education within the public is when it comes to regards to science? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's been a constant struggle from the time I was born. I grew up in Texas, which is a very conservative part of the United States. Now I live in Los Angeles, which is kind of the exact opposite of where I grew up. <laughs> um, and so I've seen I've seen all sides of this problem. I don't think that we invest in education the way that we should. Obviously, the current administration is definitely a downturn. I think things were looking good during the Obama administration, and a lot of people were hopeful. A lot of people were excited. We were starting to see some improvements in our educational infrastructure. Um, but there's also been a long-standing public and quite embarrassing battle between the ultra-conservative religious right and um, science education as a whole here in the United States. And that continues to this day. You know, we see anti-evolution rhetoric. We see um, anti-global warming rhetoric. And it is prevalent in some schools, depending on what state you live in, um, and also in the federal government, which is quite frightening. Yeah, absolutely. You see some of the stats. I was reading a stat the other day. They say uh, uh, a quarter of all Americans think that the uh, the Earth is actually a center of the, 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 the of the solar system and not the sun. Uh, amazing stats. And uh, for you to be a science educator in in that in that uh, area in the in the states must be quite a challenge. Yeah, I mean, you know, I focus on what we can do. Um, obviously, I don't think that I am here and I don't think that the work that I'm doing is intended for changing, I don't know, the core passions of like somebody who's who's anti-science, somebody who has an agenda-driven viewpoint that, for example, the earth is flat or mm. an agenda-driven viewpoint that climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese or something. <laughs> you know, that's obviously not my target audience. Um, but what I am interested in doing is helping to ensure that when scientists do interesting work, that it's it's communicated to the public in a reliable and um, and factual way. Sometimes scientists can be a little bit isolated in their ivory towers. It's a little bit um, separate, I guess, from from public understanding. We've also had. Uh, in recent years, a real tough time with the press, with um, kind of having a more advertising-driven press. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we've seen a lot of science desks shut down. So there are many more like general assignment reporters trying to write about science and don't always have the tools to do so. So I just try to keep a kind of an eagle eye on what is being written about in science and whether it's being written about fairly and... Um, and effectively and try to kind of right some of the wrongs if I notice them to keep the public informed. You know, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of kind of nefarious uh, dealings out there with specifically with people that are agenda driven. Yes, and yes. I just want to make sure that, you know, what we know to be real facts, not alternative facts, <laughs> are communicated appropriately. Now, um, you know, a lot of science kind of suffers from a certain image of being dry and boring. I mean, everybody remembers the old image of uh, Carl Sagan saying billions and billions and years. And how, how do you keep, how do you communicate science to make it interesting to the public? Do you have a certain trick? Do you have a certain target you hit? 
Um, you know, so I don't generally focus on children. I have had some um, fun projects where I got to work with kids, but for the most part, my audience is adults. I think um, when I've looked at my demographics on the podcast and on some of the shows that I've worked on, I've noticed that my demographics tend to skew um, sort of young adults. So like 18 to 35, maybe mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. 35 to 45, a lot of young people and young people who, ha- who themselves have young children. Um, and I think that one way or one reason, I guess that that does seem to be the core demographic is because I think it's important to just be a normal person and to talk about science using normal words. Um, I don't, I don't censor myself. Uh, You you know, my podcast has an explicit rating on it. (laughs) And um, I think that it's it's important to just speak the language of individual people. You know, when I teach um, science communication or give talks about science communication um, and I have like a few, you know, hard and fast rules of thumb. The second one above number one is always know your audience, which is very Mm -hmm. important. But the second one that I always say is um, never underestimate the intelligence of your audience, but always underestimate their vocabulary. You know, just because somebody doesn't have the same lexicon because they haven't worked in science. So their you know, jargon words could turn them off. Doesn't mean that they can't understand the core concepts. And so I think it's really important not to, as many producers would ask you to do quote unquote, dumb it down. That is not the way that I operate. Oh, good. Well, I was about to ask if you sometimes need to jazz it up because, you know, or or, or is it the message is compelling enough for your audience to understand and get attached to it? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm lucky enough because I'm freelance that I can, you know, work with the stories that I find compelling. Um, It's much different in a newsroom if you are a science journalist and you're tasked with writing stories about everything that's coming across on the wire because it's true. Sometimes the stories may be more dry or they may be, I I guess, another big problem is that they may feel a little bit esoteric. kind of like not always news you can use. But uh, for me, I get to kind of choose the articles that I already find really interesting. And so I don't think I need to really jazz up the science. And I think that I'm wary about doing that because sometimes that's where the real problems with pseudo journalism come in, is that I think an individual reporter in an effort to jazz it up might actually extend it to the point where it's no longer true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be quite dangerous. But there's so much fascinating science um, happening all around us all the time. And it's so incredibly compelling being able to just, you know, dig deep and talk about the fundamental underpinnings of new discoveries and how they relate to humankind and the human experience. I think it draws people in. Sometimes it's just a matter of being able to do long form um Uh, Content, you know, being Mm -hmm. able to do a podcast where you can sit down and really talk about something and you don't have to speak in sound bites. Yeah, exactly. So, since you're a freelance, uh, quickly, your favorite story recently. Oh, um, like my favorite kind of science article that's Sure, sure. Something that's been, you know, that's drawn you to and you, you find fascinating. Um, so I actually covered a story on Skeptic's Guide recently, but I'm not sure if it ever made it to air because we always record way more than actually <laughs> ends up on the podcast. Um, but I covered a story recently, uh, I think it was in Poland, where researchers decided to replicate Stanley Milgram's famous experiment. Um, have you have you heard of the famous Milgram experiment? It's uh, fascinating. It rings a bell, but you'll have to refresh me. 
Sure. So it's this experiment in which um, the researchers had, you know, they brought in the subjects, um, but they also had actors. And the subjects would come in and they would sit at a board where there were different buttons they could push. And the buttons represented different uh, Oh, the shots, Nazi experiment. Different voltages, yes. Oh, yes. And yes. on the inside of the room, there was actually an actor. Of course, the uh, the subject did not know that was an actor, and this is this whole experiment was about whether or not individuals um, really listen to and do what an authority figure tells them. Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning, they're told that they can leave at any time, but later in the experiment, they say, "Okay, you know, uh, that person got the answer wrong. You need to shock them," and they say, "Oh, I don't know if I want to," and they say, "You, you must continue. The experiment requires that you continue," and um, an overwhelming majority of individuals shocked the uh, the actor who they didn't know was an actor in the original Milgram experiment all the way up to a what they considered was a deadly shock mm-hmm. like it had XXX written on the board and throughout the the experiment the actor would be screaming in agony and eventually would go quiet and they would still continue to push that button in Poland because of ethical considerations because this experiment was done you know uh, half a century ago in Poland they did not um, refer to the final shock as being a deadly shock just mm-hmm. a very painful shock but the results were similar the vast wow. majority of individuals continued to shock um, the the actor who they thought was not an actor um, all the way to the end. Fascinating, because this experiment was originally played because they, they, at the time, after World War II, they was said that only one in a thousand people would be cruel enough to be a Nazi. And that's exactly. what inspired this Exactly, because this there was a trial after uh, World War II where an individual, I can't remember his name right now, was on trial um, for, for these atrocities, and his defense was that... Um, was that he was just following orders mm-hmm. that he was you know being told to do these things and and you know the natural kind of uh, progression would be that you would follow those orders and so Stanley Milgram was interested in this you know was this individual different or is there something core about being human um, that makes us want to follow orders even if it goes against our own ethical beliefs and so yeah I mean it was it's a an important experiment. Every psychology student learns about it in Psych 101. Um, so it's very interesting to see that it was replicated 50 years later in an Eastern, uh, or I'm sorry, in a European country where it was never done before. And um, we saw the the same results. Actually, in some ways it was worse in the wow. Polish experiment, but in some ways it was not as bad because the scales were different. I, I'm just shocked that people wouldn't clue into that experiment because it's such a well-known uh, piece of history, that experiment. So I'm, I'm just shocked that they would actually be able to find some people that didn't know about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that probably individuals, like I said, who have taken, you know, college level psychology class have heard of it. But I would I would be surprised if the general public knows much about it. Wow. Okay. Oh, switching us to something else here. Um, Science is often accused of being a bit uh, like a good old boys club. Uh, Now, you yourself as a woman, do you think that we that we have a misogyny problem with science? Well, I mean, I don't want to paint it with a broad brush. I think that we have institutional problems across the board in North America, but also in other parts of the world. There are systemic problems with... um Sure, I guess you could use the word misogyny, but I would say also with um, with gender parity. Mm. So science as a whole historically does not have nearly the representation of women or of you know minorities, people of color for that matter. Um, white men historically have had the vast majority of uh, um, 
faculty positions, mm-hmm, of tenured mm-hmm. faculty positions in universities. Now, there have been rapid changes within recent years, good, and there are, there's a lot of, of good evidence out there and a lot of good research into why this is the case, into how we can um, affect change within these institutions, but it wildly varies from institution to institution. I think that misogyny as a whole is a human problem. It is not a science problem. Science is simply reflective of what we see in a lot of different industries. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am excited to see that it is on the tips of people's tongues now that people are not afraid to talk about it. I try to publish articles or um, share articles on social media as often as I can when, when a new study does come out. And we are seeing more and more parity at the undergraduate level. Oh, um, when you look at large institutions in the United States, um, depending on the science field, you are seeing closer gender parity. I have many friends who... Um, who went to Caltech, which is close to where I live. It's mm-hmm, in Pasadena, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a top-tier institution here in the United States, and a heavily kind of math, science, and engineering school. And at the undergrad level, at least, um, I, I do think Cal- Caltech is approaching gender parity. As you get into the graduate level and then as you move into um, into faculty positions, that number becomes more and more disparate, and that's really what we need to work on. Um, but when you say when specifically misogyny, I would say that in a lot of ways, I think that that's a generational problem. Sure, there's always going to be young misogynistic assholes who find their way into positions no, of, of power, <laughs> um, of course. But I do think that there's kind of a lack of awareness that you see sometimes in the older set that you don't quite see as often in the younger set. Um, I just think that the kind of the younger group of scholars is more aware of these mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. So there's, very, there's good hope then. That's great. I hope so. I mean, I don't think that it's moving quite fast enough, but I do think we're on a better trajectory. I don't think it's going in the wrong direction, at least. Excellent. So what advice would you give to, I should say, younger women, because you're very young yourself, uh, going into science? Well, thank you for that. Um, I don't think I'm as young as you think I am. No, but I'm French. I just compliment women naturally. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I think that young women who are interested in science, I mean, the biggest piece of advice that I would give you is that... um, you should try because I think a lot of times what happens to young girls and it happened to myself as well. I ended up in science in a very roundabout way. It was never my intention and it definitely wasn't my core goal when I was young, but I was quite, um, interested in it at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think that I was good at it. I didn't think that I was very good at math. Um, math was hard for me. And because it was hard for me, I saw that as a barrier. I saw it Math didn't come easily for me, so I thought, oh, I'm not cut out for this, which mm-hmm. is, you know, math doesn't come easily generally for many people. It's a skill that, that you have to learn. And I think that different people and boys and girls are also socialized differently to talk about their skill levels differently. So oftentimes you may be in a mixed classroom when you're young mm-hmm. and the boys will talk about how easy the problems are and the girls will struggle and they'll think, oh, well, I guess that means this is easier for boys. It may be equally difficult, but the boys are more um, boisterous about you know, it being easy. Um, and we've seen a lot of good evidence to support the fact that stereotype threat, thinking you're not going to be good at something ahead of time, actually can induce negative outcomes. So if you think you're not going to do well on the test, you might actually do more poorly on the test. Mm-hmm. So I guess my biggest advice, this is quite roundabout, is that just because it's not 
super easy out the gate doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue it. And if you enjoy it and it's interesting and it's fun for you, keep working at it because um, it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a challenge, but you can do it. Anybody can become a scientist. You just have to focus and you have to try. It's not out of reach of anyone. Fantastic advice. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kara. And, you know, the the mic is all yours. Be shameless. Go ahead. Plug yourself. Lay it out. <laughs> what's coming What's coming up with Kara Santa Maria? Oh, that's so nice. Um, I don't know. I would say generally just reach out anytime uh, via Twitter. That's the easiest way to find me, at Kara Santa Maria. And, of course, my website is also carasantamaria.com. And that's where you can click through to talk nerdy you can subscribe there you can find it on itunes or any other um you know podcast reader um that's where you can find my work in the sgu and all my other work in television and the web so Mm -hmm. yeah just say hi i'm I'm hanging out online all the time sounds good are we ever going to see you up here in canada Oh, I hope so. I do love Canada. I actually have a good friend who is a Canadian science communicator, uh, Karen Bondar. She lives up there, and I visit with her um, quite often. But more often, she comes down to L.A. for Mm -hmm. different television jobs that she works on. I have been to Canada a few times before. I did some work at the Perimeter Institute for... uh, theoretical physics in waterloo okay um and i've been to vancouver a couple of times for shoots um but canada's a big place i need to come back (laughs) because there's a lot of cool places i could be visiting yeah we're just about an hour away from vancouver up here so oh love it next time we're in the same time zone yes we are so next time you're up here we'll buy you a drink oh thank you (laughs) so before i let you go can i get you to do me one little favor can i can i get you to say (laughs) hi i'm cara santa maria and i took a left at the valley of course. Here we go. Hey guys, I'm Kara Santa Maria, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Kara Santa Maria. Wonderful little interview, and she does a lot of great work for feminism and women in science, and we need more people like her. That's right. That's doing pretty good for a little Texas girl, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. One of the good things that, that Texas produced. <laughs> you don't <laughs> get to see that very Texas often, produced. do we? No, no. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. She and I. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us here today on the show. Uh, You can follow us on uh, leftatvalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook. Follow us at uh, Twitter at LATV Podcast. You can send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. Coming up next week, we should be talking. You know, we were talking about the Wayward Atheist earlier on. Actually, Dan from the Great White North is coming on the show next week, so we'll be talking with him live. That should be fun. Our old friends from uh, Dr. Randy Tyson and the Legion of Reason are coming back on the show. Oh, they're always fun. Yes, and we'll be talking about the regressive left. Oh. That's a big, wow. big issue for him, and that should be interesting for us to talk about as well. Woo-hoo. And we have the Bible geek, Robert M. Price, that oh. will actually show up on the show, and that is May 13th. Oh, wow. Yeah. Powerhouse shows coming up. Powerhouse shows coming up, and I'm sure we'll have some more and better things, and we'll, we'll just keep working for you guys. <laughs> we may have to go to Agassiz and get a cup of coffee just to kind of steal ourselves and work ourselves yeah. up, you know, to, to deal with all these power Road people trip. coming on. We'll just have to do the, the show from there from now on, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. Excellent. Anything else, guys? That's it? Uh, no, just a fun fun show. It's nothing to see. Great Bueller. to have our, our Texas guest on today. <laughs> former Texas guest. Former from Texas. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. Until next time. that contradicts history denies evolution. Hate science promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth in the basket.
comes from culture. Only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. Were you to say that Horus isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. Something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 I'm an atheist. 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 I'm an atheist. Atheist. Now let me take a second. Mean it sounds so hateful, but I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful that thousands of children are raped by priests, and since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free. To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them Fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards And the only action of tactic I plan to practice now Is to attack them The parties of God's hands Are bloodstained Millions of murders By believers And they're all in God's name let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful, that many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known, I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it, I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, 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 I'm an atheist.